0: You're listening to Go with Jamarly Martin. We have a go-hard or go-home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. Today, we're talking to the founder and CEO of PAGA, Tayo Obiasu. We're going to dive right in. We're here at South By in Austin. Tayo, tell us a little bit about Elon Musk. You know, you were there for his speech today. Fortunately, you left that speech to come here. Thank you uh, very much. Yeah. But tell us about that. Uh, Jamal, thank you. It's very nice to, to be with you again.
1: Just hearing Elon and seeing him in person was very inspiring. Um, he um, talked about the, you know, the big bets that he's, he's made, you know, um, and how he took the $180 million that he made from PayPal and split it between Tesla and SpaceX and uh, figured that he would put $90 million into both of them and still have $90 million, and like, that's still a lot of money, right? Um, and make a big bet, because no one else, and he didn't want anyone else investing. Um, but of course, it took more money, and eventually, it literally took all his money. And But it was inspiring to hear him talk about how he's going after these big bets, and, and actually got to the point where he actually had to borrow money for rent in 2008, and had to face the possibility of failure of both of them. Uh, multiple times and where they were just living by the skin of their pants he said you know um and then eventually got you know external investors and that's been allowing them to to actually move forward with with their dreams but there are a few things that he said that i took away um one was you know just about how because one of the questions is, how does he juggle his time? You know, there's these two big projects that he's working on. You know, and he said, you know, most of his time is actually on SpaceX. And that what he does is he has, you know, someone who's running the business side allows him to be on the design of what's going on. And and he made a statement about how it's so important to be in the detail to be able to make good, good decisions. And that's where he spends a lot of his time understanding the detail from all the brilliant technical people that are working working with him and that really struck struck a chord with me.
0: Okay, got it. So you talked about Elon Musk going all in, betting pretty much his entire wallet, possibly risking debt on these highly you know risky uh projects are yeah. are businesses from a textbook perspective yeah. uh, explain the relationship of the the textbook mba you know kind of finance and and, and consulting will say oh that's dumb mm-hmm. you know you bet everything on these highly risky projects sure on the spreadsheet, that just sounds retarded. But they work and you're a genius. Can you talk about kind of that relationship?
1: Yeah, interestingly, I remember one of the things I remember very well that um, Irv Grossbeck, who is is a professor at Stanford Business School and one of most, I mean, started what we all know as AT&T Cable, you know, today you said to us, he said, you know, don't invest your own money in your startup, right? Because you're investing your time and energy already, uh, raise money from other people. And, um, and I remember even at Paga, I had to put $40,000 at some point after bootstrapping, when I put almost $100,000 bootstrapping. Um, and I was like, man, you know, I, should I do this, you know? So I think from a textbook perspective, the answers typically don't do that. Because at some point, you're going to have to be, you may not be able to take a salary and take care of yourself um, and make sacrifices that your investors are not going to pay for. Um, But in reality, sometimes you just have to, right? Um, And I think for most people, um, you may need to put some money to prove the business to a certain point. But I think for Elon, he was even at a place where he said he wasn't even going to take money from his friends because he was going after, these are really crazy ideas, and which is why nobody else is, Really doing it? Who else is doing something like SpaceX? And the only person is Jeff Bezos, who is also equally wealthy and, and is just using his own money as well. Um, so it's uh, so I would say for that for the, for most people, while when we may look at that story, that story is not the norm for most people. I would say try your very best to raise money from other people, demonstrate progress, and find
0: people who believe in you who would invest in your business to let you move forward. Do you believe there's a material relationship with Elon Musk? Uh, background out of South Africa and Canada, uh, gave him an advantage in terms of how to tackle some of the opportunities, uh, same opportunities that Silicon Valley, they're going after? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, I mean, I have to imagine that somehow his
1: background and his upbringing must have helped him in how he perceives the world and how he perceives what he is capable of doing and why not him, you know. Um, an example is with the Boring Company, which he says he spends only two percent of his time on, but he twenty percent of his tweets. So he sp- seems like he's spending a lot of time on it. But he said that that's an idea that literally came from him joking all the time about somebody needs to build tunnels in Los Angeles. Like and three years in, nobody was building tunnels, and he's like, huh, why not me? Like yeah. you know, so I think there's something that has already in his background that allows him to say, Hey, why can't I do that? You know, and the same thing with SpaceX. He was really about like, why is NASA and why have we not achieved Mars? you know after all these years of landing on the moon why have we not gone back like and and then eventually he was like okay why not us like why can't we be the ones to do this and i definitely do think upbringing helps with that right and just that Understanding that you know what nothing is beyond me, and if I fail, that's fine. But nothing's beyond me to try.
0: We met in Lagos uh, in uh, 2012. Yeah. What do you remember about that? Just some <laughs> crazy guy, you know? He wants to meet. <laughs> no, I you know, mean like really, I don't really see these guys out here. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, what, what were you thinking
1: back no, then? No, look, I thought, I thought it was. I mean, there, there are a couple people I've met who just came, said, "I just want to understand what's going on," right? And yeah. uh, and and um, and I appreciate that. And and in fact, funny enough uh someone i met on my first day here at south by he was like yeah i hear all this stuff about nigeria and i you know how should i learn more and i said just come yeah you know and i said and and, he, and then he started telling me about how he doesn't have that much money i said no dude if
0: you come out, you can stay my yeah, place yeah they have money uh you know i remember uh, yeah, but, in college uh you know there was uh a big concept in terms of uh, African Americans uh, mm. becoming Afrocentric. So Africa this, Africa that, mm-hmm. uh, and so you're thinking that people are uh, culturally conscious, yeah. but I I don't remember anyone actually flying out of Atlanta and yeah, going just to, to go to see Ghana, right? yeah, going to uh, yeah. Nigeria. You're you seeing it more like, now though. You're seeing it a lot.
1: Yeah, we're seeing a lot. We're seeing a lot more. I mean, um, I had I've had a number of interns who reach out and they're like, "I just want to come, come see yeah. what's going on." The current CFO of Stripe, um, you know, he just he wasn't. This is way before he even joined Stripe, and he just showed up in Lagos. He knew yeah. one person who had lived in Nigeria, and introduced him to a few people. He had no real purpose. What about just African to come Americans? Understand it. African Americans are fewer and far between they come. Yeah, um, but but I, I do think you're seeing some, and some are actually staying to work there um, as well. Yeah. Okay, got it. But Ghana I think is more of a destination for some reason yeah.
0: than Nigeria. Uh, it's you know a lot of people recommend at least for uh, African Americans that yeah. that's your that should be your first stop. Uh, I don't know why that is, though, actually. Uh, they say with Cape Coast uh, Castle, a lot of slaves uh, went through there. And in terms of the democracy and the government, I see. like kind of start off with an appetizer. I see. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit easier to just land. Yeah. Got it. Talk to us about your personal story uh, mm. before you got to uh, Stanford. I finished, you know, under, I mean, uh, secondary school
1: um, just... You know, around 16 or so, and it was right around the time where the Nigerian president, democ- we just had our first um, democratic elections in a very long time, but there was, those were annulled, so I was out of school for a year or so, um, and, and during that time, I was able to convince my mom to let me look at going to school abroad, you know, so did my SATs and did all this stuff. Um, and, and eventually, long story short, but eventually got um, admission to a junior college, Bakersfield College in California. And, you know, I was actually yesterday just talking to some friends about this, about how Bakersfield will always have a small little town in the middle of California. Most people just drive drive by it on Highway 5, but will always have a special place for me because I met some amazing people who were just so nice um, and who really helped me achieve to where I am today, whether it was... You know, I went through times where I could not pay $50 for rent, right? And I was working five jobs, right, um, just to try and make ends meet. My friends would want to go to the movies, and I'm like, oh, I'm doing something. But really, was I couldn't afford the $5 for the movie. All of that, for me, just built character, right? And really helped me realize that my current situation, and I was always very clear about this, that my current situation was not going to be a predictor of where I was going to be future you know so at Bakersfield College I was a janitor so after school was over I was mopping the floors and my my classmates were sitting right there when you say Bakersfield, Um, you're
0: talking about outside of Los Angeles yeah just outside yeah yeah just outside it's
1: two hours north of Los Angeles and so from there then I transferred to USC uh, University of Southern California and um, did electrical engineering there Um, and and after that I went to work for a couple startups in Los Angeles and then to Deloitte Consulting in in San Francisco um, so, yeah, so I did that for about three years um, before I went to business school.
0: Okay, got it. So, you know, one study that came out said that Nigerians outperform all immigrants mm-hmm. and Americans at yeah. academics here in the United States. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why are you guys killing everybody? <laughs> you
1: know, it's, um,
0: this is the third time I've been asked this
1: question in two weeks. Um, and it's interesting in different flavors, but... The truth is, I actually don't know the real answer to the question. I do know this: um, from my parents' generation, there has been a focus on education and a focus on people trying to to learn, right, and to and to better themselves. And I think. For all of us, we take it from different perspectives. So when I recently interviewed uh, my friend's dad, who's 80 now and was just a math whiz, his perspective is that, you know, the opportunities that he got back in the 60s to go abroad, he felt, and he was the first electrical engineering professor for Nigeria, Nigerian electrical engineering professor in a Nigerian university, that he had to come back immediately after his education in London. Because he had to come back and give back because he felt so fortunate to the opportunity he had been given. And I felt something similar when I went abroad. And I felt especially from, I have been given this opportunity to go study abroad. I'm going to focus on doing well, right? And I'm going to bust my ass. Right. To learn and do well. And that was my that was my sole focus. You know, actually, Austin was the first place that I ever had alcohol. And that was like two years after undergrad. Right. Just to give you a sense that in undergrad, I did nothing right other than study um, and be part of um, student life, you know, running for Senate and things like that um, at USC. So I think for a lot of Nigerians, there's that sort of pressure of like we've got to do well. We've got to make the most of the opportunity we have. And um, and I don't think that I don't I don't think it's that we're somehow genetically you know better positioned it's than a, anybody else. It, but the yeah. culture,
0: though, uh, I think. Would you make an argument that the the cultural tradition in terms of putting a premium on education that's kind of powering? That, that has history. powered that has powered yeah. a lot, and and it's still there, right? So in Nigeria,
1: as bad as our education system is, and, and it's actually fairly bad, most people go to private schools up to university. Yeah, across it, all across all economic levels,
0: actually. Yeah. yeah. But I, I would argue a lot of African Americans will say, hey, you know, the reason people from the Caribbean or Africa perform better, they take advantage of uh, more opportunities in the United States, is the best come over here. Uh, but I don't think the data really supports that view. Even when you adjust for a parental education, income, you adjust for other variables, the the Africans are still outperforming the the Africans who are born in America. Yeah, uh, I definitely think it's a it's a cultural.
1: Oh, I mean, I agree with that um, because it, I meet a lot of Nigerians who are trained in Nigeria and are just r- ridiculously smart, right? Yeah. Um, and I have some of in my company, and um, so I think you know some of us have been given a very fortunate opportunity to be able to go abroad and, and get an education. But um, but yeah, but I, I think I think it's more that from a young age people pay you know, a lot of premium to making sure that kids are educated, you know. And I I, I say something that Nigeria is a very interesting place um, because no one is upset that Aliko Dangote is the wealthiest black man in the world. And he's such a humble person when you meet him. And at the rate of his wealth, growth of his wealth, he's going to be the wealthiest person in the world in our lifetime, right? Um, But no one's upset about that. They actually, no matter where they are, they believe that their child... Can be a lico one day, right? Even if they're not there, and they actually really believe that it's part. It's it's a it's a blessing and a curse because we're very superstitious people, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's like that 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 blind faith of like, wow, yeah, my ch- my child can one day be be a lico, and can I, I have to give him an education or her an education to give him the chance. Can you tell our, our audience uh, who that is and what yeah. he does? Yes, Aliko Dangote is, um, he's in several businesses, mostly commodities-based businesses, um, but he owns a cement business, which is a primary business that has um, brought his wealth, Um, but he's actually in several, several different businesses, and he's the wealthiest black person in the world, and he's Nigerian, and he is doing a lot of interesting things in Nigeria. As an example, right now, he's uh, working on an $18 billion refinery project to build the first. Private refinery in Nigeria. Nigeria is the eighth largest producer of oil in the world. Yeah, I many people are. And saying we actually going to be import. Yeah. We import refined crude. So I think it's going to be very transformational. Um, you know, the cynics would say that, oh well, the government's going to have to give him crude at a discount, etc. But I'm like, look, he's spending all this money doing this, and in the long haul, it's a great thing for the country.
0: Some people say that. Uh uh, under the Obasanjo regime, uh, actually, uh, my very good friend is former President Oso, Obasanjo's son with Stella Obasanjo, uh, rest in peace. Some people will say, hey, he benefited a lot from uh, government schemes in terms of cement and, and kind of blocking uh, other players in the market. Do you think that criticism is fair in terms of you know some of his early advantages?
1: I think he's actually honest about it.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, I
1: was blown away. I had, uh, there were about 12 of us that met with him once for breakfast. um, And he was very candid about how he could have lost all his money when he was importing rice, and rice imports were banned all of a sudden. And he had put all his money into an import that was sitting at the port already. Yeah. And if he was stopped from getting that out, um, he would not be where he, where he is today. I think he's very honest about sort of the opportunity that government gives, but I actually don't see a problem with that because yeah. I think in any emerging market, um, I'm very comfortable with a few people Owning the commanding heights of any of, of any of any economy, because th- the more competition you give in the very beginning, the harder it is to actually make progress. And I think that's fine to get a few people become very wealthy, as long as they do what they're. Actually, set out. Yeah, if
0: you're going to do that for someone, like he's
1: the right guy to do it. So he's doing he's doing it, right? I mean, there's some policies that it's put "quote unquote" that he's the one pushing, which are not true. So, for example, on tomatoes, I don't think he's the one really pushing for that for that policy for no importing of tomatoes, because at the end of the day, when you want to put in tariffs and things like that, you want to have a local industry that already already works. Um, But no, look, I'm I'm very fine with the idea that if I mean, if we think for a second that Facebook. Um, Microsoft, Google are not in Washington lobbying for things to benefit them, then we're fooling ourselves, right? And I see him doing exactly the same thing that businessmen and women would do anywhere else in the world, which is they will go to government. For advantages. And yeah, and and try and find advantages for their own businesses. Absolutely, why not?
0: Uh, Speaking of, um, you know, you're very uh, vocal. I don't see a lot of entrepreneurs uh, speaking out on political affairs, mm-hmm. uh, you're vocal and critical of a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the Obasanjo regime? If you like what you're hearing, you could check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. That's moguldom.com. We have the latest information on tech, crypto, the business of Hollywood and economic empowerment. Uh, you can also check me out on Twitter at Jamarla Martin. Let's get back to the podcast.
1: I have a mixed view, um, but the first one is, is really that he actually set us on a path that allowed for private sector to be well entrenched in Nigeria, to the point where for, I mean, the next regime after him, we had a president who unfortunately was ill and eventually passed away. But for nine months, we didn't know where he was and what he was doing. Well, we knew where he was, but we didn't know how well he was. And... The military didn't come in, right? And that's because the private sector was now very well entrenched. And I think it's even more entrenched today. And we have had a similar encounter recently with the current president as well. I give a lot of credit to Obasanjo for making sure the private sector was was well, well entrenched. Um, you know, on on the other hand, I think um, his administration and the ones following, um, there was also a lot of cronyism, you know, and he would, you know, of course, say that he's not part of that, etc. Um, but but the evidence shows that there was just a lot of a lot of Niger as well that was just taken corruption. out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, corruption is around the world. Right. Yeah. So for me, it's not actually about zero corruption. For me, it's about can you get the job done? right um and i say look at china right i mean i'm sure people are corrupt right look at all over the place yeah yeah, look at the middle east right i mean um and but the point is are people getting the job done right i mean i i went to i actually had a very interesting experience uh late last year i went to abu dhabi i had a flight leaving from dubai at 10 a.m left abu dhabi at 7 beautiful highway headed down to dubai stopped to get McDonald's, dropped off my rental car on time, made my flight on time. It took me less time to do all of that than to go from lagos murtala Mohammed Airport to my house in in Lekki, which is, without traffic, 30 minutes, maybe 40 max, right? I mean, and that drive... And so it's just amazing, right? You just say, look, on a shorter distance, we can't even make it happen, right? Um, and here we are in in the UAE, and they've just... They've just you know, made this infrastructure, um, and I'm sure there's some corruption there, but at least they're delivering for their people.
0: It's clear you have a lot of passion for your people and for your country. Could you see yourself running for president of Nigeria one day? No. There's no possibility. No possibility. You would just roll it out. I, they will kill me, um, you know, right, because
1: I, I will be so brutal. That um, I don't think I'll survive, so that's why. You I think you do
0: would it. be uh, Martula Muhammad? Uh, you would be? I will the fire Nigerian JFK. That would be assassinated. Yeah, pretty much, because I would literally let go of
1: a third or half of the entire civil service in one foul swoop, and I will be very strict on um, just incompetence. And that's the biggest frustration I actually have with the Nigerian government and with the, with a lot of people I run into um who you think are you know but someone said it to me recently he said you know it's it's hard to ask from people what they don't know or what they haven't experienced so i think we need um, i don't have the patience um which is why I, I i'm always very thankful to people who do go into government but are you but i don't think i could do it
0: are you the guy though you're educated at usc stanford you know you have global exposure But you're analyzing your fellow Nigerians where, hey, you guys are not up to speed like I see it in other places. Do you believe the competency is there where you're judging them fairly? So I do believe that there are people who are
1: very competent who do a great job and they will eventually get there. So as an example, we joke about it. But I feel very seriously that one day my co-founder is going to run for office and I will be the first person to support him. And I can see him having the patience. Um, certainly has the brilliance to do a fantastic job, and I think he would. There's another friend of ours who um, is currently considering running for governor of one of the states, and you know, um, I, I would more than happily support from the sidelines. The way I see myself running is to be able to finance other people who have the patience to go do it. I just don't have the patience and would be, and, and I think the way I would approach it, and I'm also not politically correct. Um, and I'm always having to apologize. I'm regulated by Central Bank. I'm always having to apologize no. to the Central Bank guys. Oh, in wow. fact, I've just always said to them, I'm like, look, just always remember that you are talking to someone who is very Americanized. So just remember that, right? Um, I had an experience where um, the Central Bank called for a meeting, and um, the meeting was on a Tuesday, but I was in Abuja, I'm going to believe in Abuja on Monday, and I couldn't change my flight. And I wrote them, I said, oh, it's a shame that... You know, this meeting, we're being told last minute about this meeting because I would have been able to move things around, but at this point I can't. And I got a call back from someone and they said, what do you mean by it's a shame? I was like, like, what? He's like, yeah, you said we shamed you. I was like, no, 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 you didn't shame me. Like, I was just saying, oh, it just, it sucks. Like, you know, it's unfortunate. I was like, no, 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 When when we hear it's a shame, we're hearing that we shamed you. What did we do to you? And I tell the story because it just showed me and I was like, wow, thank you so much for calling me to tell me this because you would have just been there upset at me and I wouldn't have even known. Right. But I tell the story because also part of why I don't think I could go into politics is I think the way I think, the way I um, perceive things is so very different than how a lot of Nigerians do. And, and I think that would be very challenging for me. So so the way I sort of look at my being back in Nigeria, because I want to be part of building Nigeria to become the giant of Africa again. And I see what we're doing at PAGA absolutely squarely doing that. Um, and for me, it's about how do we make it easy for people to pay and get paid, and how do we bring financial services to the mass market? And if we can do that, we can help lift people out of poverty. And, and I think that's such a, a big hairy, audacious goal to go after that I'm very happy to know that my part in
0: all of this is to do that, right? And to bust my ass to do that. From a policy perspective, mm-hmm. if uh, a significant amount of African Americans were able to trace their lineage uh, back to uh, Nigeria, mm-hmm. myself, uh, mm-hmm. I traced it, um, Yoruba, oh, okay. but I, I traced it back. Nice. But do you feel like you could support something out of Nigeria, in Cameroon or Ghana, where there's some type of dual citizenship available for, you know, West Africans who came to America through yeah. slavery to come to come back to, to, to the, the dual they, citizenship. They want to. Yeah. yeah, like hey, sure. America's not enough sure. in terms of our cultural heritage.
1: No, absolutely. Why not? Um, I, th- I think I'll be very open to to that idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, look, I think, and we've. I you know I have a friend who is African American, and I don't even think he's traced, but he's married to Nigerian. And he loves Nigeria. I mean, like, sometimes we're talking, I'm like, man, like, what is it? You know, know, but he just loves it. And he's doing very well in his job there and career there. And I don't see him moving, right? I mean, I I think I have two friends like that, actually.
0: Uh, Tell our audience uh, what Paga does. Yeah, so Paga is Nigeria's largest
1: mobile money operator, Um, We exist to solve two problems. One is how do you make it easy to pay and get paid in a country that is extremely cash driven? And the second is how do you deliver financial services to the mass market? We have 180 million people in Nigeria. Only 30 million of them are banked and even for those 30 million, more than half of them think of their debit card as an ATM card just to pull cash out of the machine. Right. Um, so it's a very cash driven society. And, and what we want to do is just build an ecosystem that makes it easy for what individuals to send money to each other or to pay for businesses and for to get financial services to the mass market to bank the unbanked.
0: How big is the opportunity in Nigeria for you?
1: Yeah. Commercial opportunity. Yeah. No, look, I think we'll build a one billion dollar company, one and a half billion dollar company in Nigeria over the next five years, right? Um, I, I, you know, I, I really believe that we're on to something. So we're actually in the middle of the next round now. Um, and so fingers crossed, we should close it and announce announce very soon. But fundamentally, um, the opportunity, I think the share size of Nigeria is sometimes very hard for people to understand. What I say to people just to help them get a context of it is I say, look, who thinks China is a big deal today? And everybody raises their hand. Well, 80 years from now, Nigeria is going to be bigger than China.
0: That's one thing I remember uh, when we met in 2012 sounded at first it sounded arrogant you you know you said hey the african growth opportunity is really nigeria yeah. right it sounds funny coming from a nigerian yeah. right yeah. uh but the facts uh, uh, tell our audience why proportionally yeah. uh the facts support that statement yeah no, I know I hate when people um Well, not hate, but, um,
1: you know, when people say, oh, Africa is the last frontier or the next frontier, I'm like, no, it's Nigeria. It's not Africa, Um, you know, and with all due respect to all the other countries, um, you know, Nigeria is, Africa is going to go the way Nigeria goes because of the sheer size of the country and the economic opportunity. Lagos State, where I live, has 20 million people. And has a GDP that makes it, if it was its own state, its own country, the fifth largest country on the African continent. Portakot, which is in river state in Nigeria, if it was a country, would, make, would be the ninth largest economy on the African continent. So there are at least three cities in Nigeria that are bigger than most countries. Um, on the African continent, um, and so if there's any business that is thinking long-term about their opportunities in the world and the global landscape, they have to be thinking Nigeria. Last year, we saw Coca-Cola buy into one or no two years ago buy into Chivita, a local company, as a way to really it was already Nigeria coca colas already in Nigerian market, but actually a way to expand its Nigerian operations. We saw Kellogg's come in for almost half a billion dollars. Into the best um, and most respected brand in Nigeria, um, Indomie, um, through their distribution company Dufil, and and that was also a multi you know multi million dollar deal, hundred million dollars, more than hundred million dollar deal, and you know I think these are companies that are looking long term for their market growth um, and and realizing that they have to be in Nigeria. So if as the way people are thinking about China and India is the way people will be thinking about Nigeria, you know so. You know, for all the good things people talk about, I use Rwanda as an example, and I love Rwanda. I got married there, beautiful country. But it's so small that anyone who's starting anything there is going to immediately have to be thinking of a second market, right? Um, And when people ask me, oh, is Paga going to go outside of Nigeria? I said, yeah, one day. But we have such a big opportunity in Nigeria alone that um, I may not be at Paga by the time we're really going outside of Nigeria, right? Um, And maybe I've passed on the baton by then. Is anything related to blockchain in your roadmap? Not right now. Um, we actually are, um, and my CTO is actually quite keen to take some time off to go and just study on blockchain and really think through it and think through what and where we can use it. I mean, the initial uses we can think of is to get rid of the distributed databases that we have. Um, because if you look at our system, we have about four live versions. Right, to ensure that we never lose data of uh, what's going on, and on on the Paga system, right? and to assure our customers that we're never going to lose their, their data and their money, um, and we monitor those real-time very closely. Uh, so I can see us doing something with blockchain down the line. Currently, the Nigerian central bank is not very positive to cryptocurrency. Bitcoin transactions are growing, but licensed financial institutions in Nigeria are not allowed to
0: hold it or allowed to trade it. So we can work with other companies who, who are... Would it be fair to say it's an underground market, meaning legitimate businesses are handling Bitcoin transactions? Yeah, yeah. no,
1: legitimate businesses are, um, especially because it's been hard to get currency out of Nigeria lately, and so a lot of companies have used Bitcoin. And
0: do you view Bitcoin as competition with Paga? No, I don't. No, okay. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why I, isn't I think Bitcoin a threat to your business?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's a threat because I think um, fundamentally central banks, and including the Nigerian Central Bank, are not going to allow Bitcoin to become the currency in their markets. I do think at some point in our lifetime we will have at least one country go 100% uh, cryptocurrency, and um, and but it will be their own currency that they'll create. So because of that, I don't see Bitcoin as competing, but I can see us um, allowing people to trade and use Bitcoin, right? But, I, but, you know, but if you think about Paga today and what, is it, what's the, what are the use cases for Bitcoin, it's really around remittance as, as the biggest use case. So on Paga, you hold a digital wallet, similar to PayPal. And you can put cash in it. If you have a bank account, you can link your banks. You can put your cards on it. So if I want to send Jamal in money... I just on Paga send him money and he gets the cash real time, instant real time. So in that transaction, Bitcoin does nothing for us at all because you can now take that cash, use it on Paga, move it to your bank if you want, right? Um, or cash it out if you want. So Bitcoin has no real, no real benefit. Uh, in fact, with Bitcoin, I now need to remember this. I have to create, create this wallet. And if I
0: lose my key, I've lost my, my wallet, which actually happened to me. Are there any blockchain businesses that you see coming into Nigeria that could be a threat? Not yet. They may be, but I don't see any yet. Special thanks to Tayo. You can check him out at mypaga.com. We really appreciate you coming through. No, absolutely. Thank you very much. This is fun. Thanks, everyone, for supporting the Go podcast. You can check me out at Jamarly Martin on Twitter. You can also check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. Let's go.